You are now listening to the Well, That Wasn't Helpful podcast, created and hosted by me, R. Hollis, brought to you by WVCW Radio, all student-led radio at VCU. Enjoy. Welcome, I am your host, R. Hollis, and it is my pleasure to present the Well, That Wasn't Helpful podcast. For a quick recap, I'm a freshman at Virginia Commonwealth University, and I'm 19 years old. This podcast gives young adults the opportunity to share a variety of topics, ranging from unhelpful medical experiences to sharing life advice so others in similar situations have a platform to turn to when they need peer-to-peer support. So I'm going to go ahead and let our guest introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Debo. I'm 26. I'm a senior at VCU as well. Uh, I'm a type 1 diabetic as well as having suffered from depression and anxiety for a decent portion of my life. Thank you for having me. Of course. So the objective today is going to be, Debo is going to share his experience with type 1 diabetes later in life and what it is like being in long-term mental health facilities with a new diagnosis. Then we will talk about the ways that you or someone you know in similar situations can advocate for yourself, as well as we're going to cover what others can do to be as helpful as possible when supporting someone under these circumstances. So I'm going to have Debo start sharing his story. It's hard to pick like a starting point, you know, it's um, something that I've lived with for so long. I could start in third grade when I was at Catholic school and started having issues with like depression and anxiety, but I feel like that might be a little bit too early. It's probably just more important to know that I was dealing with some of the symptoms for a lot of my life and didn't start getting help until the beginning of college, which was 2015 for me, I think. So a little while ago. And that was when I first started getting therapy for depression and stuff. And that was going decently well. I was at William Mary. I dropped out to take some time off. I transferred to UVA. That went pretty poorly, actually ended up having to drop out of UVA and uh, I was committed for just a couple of days. It, you know, what are you yeah. going to do? That's life. It, it, yeah, uh, we, let's, we keep going. We keep going. Yeah, we'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. So we were starting to get back on my feet. It was going back to UVA. It was doing pretty well. Um, it was like my first semester back after taking time off and taking a semester off. And during finals of that first semester back, I was doing really well. I was like slated for like a three point something GPA. Like I was doing well, Um, certainly not failing by any means. And during finals, I ended up having the mother of all panic attacks or so I thought and was like in a fetal position for 48 hours straight, basically. Didn't really take care of myself, didn't really eat. Turns out that I was actually uh, going into ketoacidosis, which is one of the first ways that many type one diabetics find out that they're type one diabetic. Uh, It's normally something that you have to go to the hospital for. I did not go to the hospital, nor did I go to three of my four finals, which means that I failed all of those finals, which means that I failed all of those classes because they are prerequisites to finishing. And I never got those credits. I never got that back. I transferred here with like a 0.6 GPA from UVA or something like that's what I got, which is pretty brutal. Um, 
and yeah, so that was when I was diagnosed with type one. There were some other symptoms leading up to it. One of the funny ones that people always ask me, like how I knew is that my pee started to smell like Cheerios, which is, it's really funny that that's. Just don't ruin Cheerios for me. I am sorry. It's just a very comedic way to (laughs) learn about it. Apparently like way back in ancient Greece, the way they used to diagnose with diabetes. I'm sorry, this is too gross for no, no, no. We've talked about worse. We've talked about worse on my podcast. Trust me. (laughs) The way they used to diagnose it was they would drink the patient's pee, and if it was sweet, they'd be like, "Oh, you're gonna die in a couple months." Oh, cool. Just such a because there's no treatment back then, which is just such a like. I don't know. (laughs) All of that is just so surreal to me, and so like the. Anywho, um, yeah, I started, my pee started smelling funny and then I had a lifelong diagnosis, uh, which is brutal. Um, I had the summer after I failed my finals to get this new disease under my belt, which I didn't really do a great job of because that's not really enough time to figure out diabetes, uh, type one specifically, which is pretty complicated. Go ahead. Can you explain what diabetes is? Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) There's a lot of different ways that your body can fail to process insulin properly. There's type one and type two are the two main types, but there's also type three, which is a little bit more obscure. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of myriad in between cases and stuff like that. I have type one, which means that at some point, a part of my pancreas was attacked and no longer produces insulin. So I have no insulin in my body, all the insulin that I get, which is necessary to survive. I have injected into my body from an external source. Type two is your body develops a resistance to insulin. So even though your body still produces it, it doesn't respond as well. A healthy person's body normally has a blood glucose level, which is a way of measuring how much sugar is in your bloodstream. Uh, A normal person's body sits around 90 to 100. That's what the measurement says. A type one when untreated will sit around like 500 or beyond, it can go to crazy numbers, normally around 500 or 400, you end up getting hospitalized for ketoacidosis. Type two will sit around like 150 to 210, or that's my understanding. I don't know as much about it, but they will just sit a little bit higher than the average person, which can have bad complications leading down the row if it leading down the road, if they don't get it treated properly. Type one people, when they treat it, will inject insulin into their body and they have to do a little math problem every time they eat or, you know, a whole bunch of other things. But every time they eat, they have to calculate how much carbs they're eating and then inject insulin based on that. And if they get the number right, then they'll end up in a healthy zone, similar to a healthy person. If they inject too much insulin, they might go low, which can lead to irritability, um, blacking out seizures and death. If they inject too little, their numbers will stay too high and that's not good long-term. So you want to like push it and like make sure that you get your numbers down, but you don't want to go too far because that is like very immediately dangerous. Whereas the other one is like long-term dangerous. It's, it's a really like psychologically damaging tightrope that I don't like walking where it borders on self-harm because it, it, it's so confusing to me and how it like affects me emotionally of like wanting to put 
as much as I can in without causing damage to myself and feeling like a failure long-term if I don't put enough in. I think I think really hard about stuff. I'm sure other diabetics feel this way. I know that I think more about things in a much more dramatic fashion than the average person does, but I don't, that might be important in an advocate or something who's to say of making it sound as awful as it can possibly sound because it is awful. It, it sucks a lot. It's just, it's so unyielding and unceasing. And if it were only what we ate, that would be one thing, but hormones affect it. Physical activity affects it. Stress levels affect it. Like there's such a myriad of things that affect your blood sugar level that it makes it really hard to know for sure. If you're injecting the correct amount, it's just as much an art as it is a science getting the numbers correct. So that's kind of diabetes. I kind of started going into like how it affects me, but basically I don't produce insulin because I'm a type one type twos produce it and are resistant to it. And that's why they typically do medication. Um, it helps their body become more sensitive to insulin again. You are currently listening to the Well, That Wasn't Helpful podcast brought to you by WVCW Radio. I am your host, R. Hollis, and you can find us on iTunes and Spotify. I appreciate you being very blunt about this because I feel like when you go on websites, when you're trying to research health issues, that it's a lot of fluff and you're being brutally honest about how you experience it every single day. And I appreciate how candid you are about this because it's important to show how terrifying it is to get the diagnosis, how you found out you even had diabetes and then learning how to control it and continuously having to do that every single day to keep yourself alive. So thank you for being very honest with me about that. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. And I feel like this is a forum that um, probably appreciates the bluntness. I think, you know, people who have conditions are expected to talk about it in a certain way with people who don't. There's like a strange coddling that I feel like I have to do, especially with my family and stuff like that, where they don't like to hear how hard it is on me. People don't like to hear how you're suffering because it's just, it's a disruption of their day in a way. Um, And it takes a lot to, I don't know, in a way, I feel like me, my openness often invites other people to be open as well, or at least that's how I hope it comes across. And being that I was a very privileged white male and all that stuff, sometimes just like owning how much it sucks is easier for me, I think. I'm not, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say why I am. Maybe it's just exhaustion of being polite about it. Maybe it's just trusting you and trusting other people who are, would be listening to this podcast makes it easier for me. I don't really feel like the pretense of having to be nice about it here in, in a forum, in like a different forum where I might have to be nicer about it. 
And also, I think I'm just a latently angry person. <laughs> so I might just weaponize my sadness <laughs> when given the opportunity. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's, I, it's really fair. I mean, I, I, I feel the same way when I talk about my health issues. I don't want to be like, oh my God, I'm at a level 12 on pain today. I am so depressed that I feel like I'm losing my mind and want to do awful things on the bad days. And I can't say that to my roommates. I can't be like, yeah, this is it- how I feel today. I have to be like, okay, I'm going to stay in bed for today. I would really appreciate the help of if you could let my service dog Louise out for me. I'm just going to just be in here myself. Don't, don't worry about it. And, and, but the, in my mind, I'm like, I was like, this is the end of the world. This is, this is it for me. And so, yeah, you have to, you definitely have to present your illnesses a specific way to definitely specific people. And I'm glad that this, this platform, you're able to be honest because why wouldn't you be like, you're talking to me? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's also so interesting watching even your recounting of it, hearing your inflection change so much in the way that you talk about it and your mannerisms, which they can't see because we're on zoom, but like you have a different, your shoulders sit in a different place. You use your hand a lot more when you're, could you let Louise out, please? It's just, (laughs) it's so interesting how we have this like, People talk about code switching. I certainly am not an expert on code switching and should not talk like it, but it it seems similar-ish maybe. I don't know. Just the, I'm fine. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's just how it goes. It's every day for me and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Cause if you didn't do that, everyone's going to just be like, feel bad for you or they're going to just be concerned 24 seven. And that's to me, that's harder to deal with than just faking it uh, I know people use the word uh, masking for certain mm-hmm. for, for situations where you have to deal with something privately so that it doesn't affect other people and I, I do think that it's easier to do that than be honest about it it's too energy consuming to try to console people when they're upset because it it breaks my heart when my mom cries sometimes because she because she'll just cry and and I'm like what's wrong like please tell me what's going on and she's like I just I hate that you're sick and so it it it's days like that that I'm like I have to be fine today yeah <laughs> I have to be okay today for the sake of another person and so uh it yeah I I get that and please take all of your anger out into <laughs> this, this zoom call. I am ready for it. <laughs> I appreciate that a lot. That's, that sounds like a really hard circumstance. I'm really sorry. Um, I was just, while you were talking, I was thinking about how just generally I don't do the best job of processing all of my emotions that I feel all the time and they leak out in weird ways. And I remember this happening with diabetes, the semester that I went back to UVA right after my diagnosis, I had the summer to figure it out. And then I went back 
I ended up living under a fraternity house, like in the basement of a fraternity house without realizing that that was what I was living under. I thought it was going to be a regular house. So that was not an ideal living situation. Um, I ended up becoming kind of friends with some of the people who lived above me. They were actually decent people. Um, (laughs) they They were pretty nice to me, but it, you know, obviously there's a whole bunch of connotations with fraternities that I get pretty upset by and yeah all that I don't know I think that's outside of the purview of this <laughs> but I didn't want them to hate me pretty badly because that sounds pretty awful they invited me to a party one time and I didn't know how to handle having diabetes and so I tried to treat it like a party trick and I oh. like wanted other people to like learn about it and I had someone who was like I'm gonna be an EMT and I was like well then you should know how to inject insulin so I had him inject insulin into me and that's just such an unhealthy coping everyone was uncomfortable I just refused to like hide it not deal with it it's just such a I don't like I don't know it's just interesting I've never been one to mask I don't think I instead let it boil out in weird ways which again I I don't know. I don't love that. And I, I've forgotten that story until right now of just the, I like insist on people knowing <laughs> it's just, maybe it's just anger. I don't know, but it's interesting. Um, that might also just be part of it still being new to me as well. And yes. feeling new, I guess it's not that new now. I was 21 then. So it's five years, which is it's, a long time to have it, but, and that's like that, that's still not a lot of time to process it when you think about it because there's one thing of doing all of the medical necessities to help regulate an illness. And then there it's another thing to process everything that's going on and it happens at two different times. And I think people don't realize that. So even if you're quote unquote stable, that doesn't mean that your mental aspect on everything is just as stable as your health at the moment. Yeah. And I certainly don't think I have processed this emotionally. I don't know how, I honestly don't know how I ever will. I don't, it doesn't feel like something that you do get over, you know, because it's a part of you and it sucks. And that might also be, we were talking about this earlier of like, before we started of, because I was diagnosed so late in life, like this used to be called juvenile diabetes, but they've changed it to type one because it's kind of a misnomer because I was diagnosed so late. I remember what it was like to be perfectly healthy. Yeah. My family used to always say, well, so long as you have your health and I can't identify with that anymore, which is super weird and upsetting and so many other things. I have like a full-fledged adult anger over having that taken from me. And I, I didn't grow up identifying as a type one. It's not part of my subconscious in any way. It's not part of my formation. It's, it's something that I purely intellectualize and hold in a very like conscious part of my brain, which is super, I get super frustrated over it. And I think I think that's an interesting perspective. I think there's so many people who are sick and are sick for so much of their life that it's a large part of their identity in an intrinsic way that I can't identify with. And I can't know that pain or that confusion that, 
that I'm sure comes with it or just sheer frustration. I instead have a, a different type of frustration that, you know, sucks. Frustration sucks, of course. Our Hall is here. You are listening to the Well, That Wasn't Helpful podcast. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. This was brought to you by WBCW Radio through Virginia Commonwealth University. I can relate on certain levels of what you're saying. The, the one thing that I have lived with my entire life would have to be my mental health issues because that started very young and it's still a process to this day. And that is one thing that I have never been able to say that I knew life before that. The thing that I can say is my physical health before I had my chronic pain diagnosis before I had everything because in 2020, I took a gap year and I went on a three and a half month road trip with one of my best friends and my dog. And I, I climbed mountains. I was hiking every single day. I was at my best. I recovered from my eating disorder during that time. I was getting healthy and, and then I got back and things got really bad. And then I got diagnosed with a thyroid disease. And then I started experiencing chronic pain in my joints and it's just gotten worse from there. And so I think that, I think that the, one of the hardest parts about a diagnosis, especially later in life is you, you didn't know how it felt before it got bad. And I, whenever I start hurting really bad, (laughs) I go back. I was like, man, I climbed to the top of Angels Landing at Zion National Park. And I can't even walk across campus. Like I can't even do this, this, and this. And I used to be able to do this. And it's something that you have to push through. And for me, it's something that I work with so I, I work with my therapist on things and it takes a lot of mental strength to not have that way over my head every single day. And so I'm, I'm able to relate to you on the aspect of my life wasn't always like this. That sounds really, really difficult. I think a, a big part of the diabetes community talks about like, we can still do anything. There's a lot of posts like Mm -hmm. that. Um, Hiking the Appalachian Trail is a big one. One of my friends from high school who had type one is a trail manager now, which is a really interesting thing for someone with type one to do. I don't know if I always identify with that. Um, I think that sounds, it feels nice to know that I can, I, can still, especially, I, that just sounds really hard is most of what I'm getting at. It sounds really awful. And it's such a setback in the mental as well. I remember that of yeah those moments of like, I'm getting back on track and then having some 
the body is such an important thing for so many people to be able to rely on. It's one of the most intrinsic parts being able to, that sense of connection between brain and body was really important for my own sense of self-esteem and my own like belief in my own future and having part of that kind of rocked. It's, it's difficult. Um, not being able to trust your body, not being able to trust yourself is like a pretty intimate and sacred thing to have taken. And I don't know, that setback is just brutal for on so many fronts. And I'm glad that you're doing a lot of processing with it and that you're finding support in it and that you're doing stuff like this because I, you know, finding the motivation to be an advocate is really incredible to me. And I think it's really wonderful. And I'd appreciate you sharing it with me very much. Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. That sucks a lot. Um, I wish I, I feel almost unqualified to relate because that sounds really, you know, advanced and awful. I think that it's really important when you are dealing with things like this to not do the, someone has it worse than me. Mm -hmm. I think that that can be a really dangerous game. I think that's super fair <laughs> and correct and not how I would want someone to treat me. But I also feel like I, in my own opinion and mm -hmm. generally just with the way that I, do things these days is I like to be more on air on the side of caution yep. when treating that. So I appreciate you saying that. I didn't want to be the one who said that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So geez, the semester back at UVA going way back to the party trick and stuff. Uh, I realized that I was like not doing a good job of coping with it. I was like not ready to be back in school by any means. And so I opted to, um, I had a therapist there that we did not get along at all. Um, I was really struggling and my therapist was like, well, I think that maybe one day you might be a good person, which did, oh not, do a, did not do a ton for my self-esteem. Oh um, my God. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah, that was tough. That was a tough one. Um, oh my God. <laughs> so I ended up going to like a very nice long-term facility up in the Northeast. It's like bell jar-esque, kind of like that. It's, I don't know, to me, it's like a literary archetype of like, went to a mental hospital in the Northeast. <laughs> um, I feel like I've heard that several times in books and stuff. So it, it was really nice. Um, really lucky to have gone there. Really bizarre, surreal place. And when I got there, they had a physician, like a dedicated physician for everyone, um, a nutritionist and a physician. And the physician kind of changed a little bit to help me adjust to being there uh, with the diabetes and stuff like that. And the changes that they made, I don't think worked great for me. And I don't know that it was someone like, obviously there are doctors, so they're qualified, but I, I think I needed like a dedicated endocrino endocrinologist from day one. And the place was nice enough that I probably should have gotten one. And I put on a ton of weight while I was there. I put on like 50 pounds or something over the course of a couple months, which also that happens with type one as well of during my initial diagnosis, I was like down 40 pounds in like a month and a half. I had lost 40 pounds 
So I, I was like pretty emaciated and had a strange relationship with food prior to that. My family was pretty pro weight loss in all capacities. And so when I was like looking really terrible, I was like, man, I look really good, like 30 pounds underweight. Like I was yeah. skinny before that. And um, my friend's mother comes from a culture where it's like very normal to comment on weight. And so right after my diagnosis, when I was like weighing my least, I came back to it. Wow. You look like you belong in a concentration camp, <gasps> which I think is the first time that I realized that like, oh, maybe this isn't healthy for me. Certainly I get a lot of comments. I, I don't know how to process this. I don't know how to process this. <laughs> I, it's so much, right? But it's so strange because I think that was actually probably not a healthy way to say it, but a healthy comment for me to hear of like, hey, something's wrong. You don't, you shouldn't look like this. Like it's okay to feed yourself and be nourished. Like that's a good thing. Um, you shouldn't want to look like you are at the sickest point in my life. Like that shouldn't be my ideal. Anywho, yeah. I, I I did the same thing. I thought that I yeah. looked great when I was, I, I looked awful. Looking back at pictures now when I was like, oh my God. And I'm like, I looked sick. That's not cute. That's yeah. sick. And it's also, <laughs> it's a mindset. Thinking about it from image-based things is not great either. I imagine I, Ugh. We can we can unpack that later. Yeah, I'll, that's for me and my therapist. That's, time, you know, we can just keep moving forward. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of weight fluctuations. So that's like ninety pounds change or something like that. It yeah, it's hard h- hard on the brain, hard on the body. A hundred percent. Yeah. So long term mental health facility, new lifelong chronic disease diagnosis. I was depressed and anxious before I was there mostly to deal with my depression and anxiety, but also separately had a new diagnosis and going to therapy intensively with a new diagnosis. It's hard. It was hard for me to know where sadness came from, you know, Mm -hmm. processing such a traumatic thing at the same time. It's also having to process like long-term issues with the way I addressed life and my own mental health. It's hard. Yeah. I, I like over the past few months since dealing with a lot of the issues that I have, I would just kind of sit back and and say to myself, am I, am I depressed because of my pain or am I depressed because my mental health, like my, the brain chemicals are messed up again. You don't know how to decide because when you, I think for almost every illness, that comes with it. It's like, oh, you'll be experiencing anxiety and depression. So what does that mean for people who already have diagnosed anxiety and depression and other things? Where's the, where's the information pamphlet on that? You know, it's also, you know, you're meeting with these specialists who they specialize, of course, the mental, the physical and mental are tied together. Like, of course, those two mm-hmm. things are tied together, but you're seeing specialists who deal with the mental or deal with the physical. Yes. Yes. And they're all separate and they just need to come together and be in one room and make a decision. <laughs> That's yeah, like what they need it, to do. And compartmentalizing. Like, <laughs> they don't even really have necessarily the ability to com- to not compartmentalize an entire person, which is really, I mean, that 
it sounds like you're going through that very actively right now of having to like <laughs> compartmentalize your entire self into different aspects that are clearly intertwined, but people aren't able to tease out properly and help you with. And that's you like just the put word. it into words perfectly. I've been yeah. really struggling to, to be able to say it and you just said it for me. So thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. I, that probably comes from the, <laughs> the facility that I was at, which did have like every single aspect of like a social worker, therapist, psychiatrist, um, physician, like a generalized physician who all met and like create a dossier of like who I am, what I am, what my diagnosis is and like all of that stuff put together. But it, it's funny. I spent like eight months there. My -hmm. family spent a ton of money on it and I still, it still just feels so incomplete. Yeah, I that's I'm hoping that by going down the route of the Mayo Clinic as much as I can for my other health, like for my health right now, I'm hoping that that will be better, that everyone's in the same room kind of situation. But I think that you mentioned how it doesn't feel complete and I think that just takes you now which is annoying and it's frustrating and it's exhausting (laughs) but if it's if that's what it's gonna take so that you have a better quality of life it's worth putting effort into I think that's super true and I think I stopped talking at probably the bleakest part of that point which (laughs) is like it still feels incomplete but it's also, I find it somewhat empowering that mm-hmm. despite all of that, I am still the expert of myself and yes. I will still learn the most about myself. And I get to spend as much time, I, not as much time, I will spend the most time with myself out of everyone I will ever meet in my life. And it will be really rewarding, I imagine. And I find it rewarding as I learn more about myself. I am like a puzzle oriented person. Mm-hmm. And I certainly like figuring out the relationship between my mental and physical health and like what is good for me is a very difficult puzzle that sometimes gives me happy brain chemicals when I make progress. And that's yep. really nice. And I, I <laughs> you know, I don't know, for a long time when I was depressed, I would just believe people when they said that it gets better. That was like a, a quote from Bojack Horseman. It was like, you have to do it every day, but it gets better that one meant a lot for me there meant a lot to me and just like a general belief that that was true and like finding the moments where it feels true to me is really great and rewarding and I enjoy that a ton I love that. I feel <laughs> vaguely on the other end I still struggle all the goddamn time but <laughs> but I feel vaguely on the other end which is cool yeah and sometimes that's like even the just the smallest bits of that is if that's that's going to be the motivator even though it's the smallest part of everything else you have to keep grasping onto that so I'm really glad that you do acknowledge those parts of things that's really good it's hard to do there are people who just don't choose to do that because a lot of this is willingness and 
And so I'm really happy that you are already on that path and going towards that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, if we figure ourselves out, a lot of things are going to be easier later on in life. Like it's going to be much easier to be much more Zen, I feel like, which will be nice. Uh, we're dealing with like very real, acute, difficult things. So that'll probably lead to a lot of peace for a long time as well. Yeah, definitely. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed, guys, yeah. fingers crossed. <laughs> or so I am telling myself. <laughs> yes. Um, so getting back a little bit on track to <laughs> school. To, yeah, we just got very philosophical on, on everyone right now, but you know, I needed this. Did I feel like you may have needed this? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been doing a lot of like diabetes advocacy lately, which has been really weird to me and not a place that I expected to be. I certainly feel underqualified. And I don't know if this is necessarily advocacy in the same way, but uh, my friend works for like a progressive group trying to get uh, a price cap or trying to get a prescription board in the a bill passed for a prescription board in Virginia that would like cap the prices of different prescriptions and such and asked me to write a speech and I wrote the angriest meanest speech for that because I was just in a bad mood that week and it was not very good advocacy but like man did I get it off my chest sorry I just I don't know that story is not that relevant right now but I felt like telling it anyways it's just interesting being in this place now where I talk about my diabetes a lot it's a trendy disease right now with insulin prices and all of that I have heard some some things about how people have to compromise in order to get medications that is insane for sure I'm definitely lucky enough that my family helps but the prices are absolutely insane uh it would be cheaper for me to live in it's like, it's probably like 600 a month for me for medications and stuff. And for the, like all the medical devices that I have, it's like on the back of my arm here, I have a continuous glucose monitor, which is like a little patch with a little plastic thing sticking out. There's a rectangle one and a circle one that you might see on people. And that's measuring their blood glucose every five minutes. And then I also have an insulin pump, which is a little square thing that lights up. It kind of looks like an iPhone with a little clear plastic wire that sticks out of my pocket and goes into my body and injects insulin semi-automatically for me. I still have to like, for big things like meals, I still have to put it in, but otherwise it handles a lot of the details. And those things cost so much per month, even though every endocrinologist would recommend it. Even people who aren't endocrinologists would recommend it. It's just such an important part of being able to handle this disease yet every single insurance recognizes it as like a luxury, even though, even with all the technology, I would still not function in the same way as a healthy person. It's like, well, why don't you just skip that? Like, if you're really trying to save money, then just get the off-brand insulin from Walmart. Cause that's only $5, even though, by the way, that stuff is terrible for diabetics for the one person out there who is listening to this podcast and is also like deeply conservative or something. Um, that insulin is like atrocious for type ones and very regularly leads to hospital visits and death. So getting back on to school, 
life with the new diagnosis you were talking about uh the, the party tricks frats and you're now at vcu so what what happened for you to get here yeah so while i was at the long-term facility i was having a lot of issues with motivation and waking up i don't wake up very early i don't like to wake up there's this thing called self-regulation that um, avoidant people tend to do and i have a lot of issues with avoidance in general where basically i go into like a semi-dissociative self-soothing self-soothing state basically i drool on myself and watch YouTube instead of doing my homework or like things that I know that would make me happy and proud of myself. I'll just go into like a, an easier form of living. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to live more actively engaged with my life. And I thought a step towards that would be picking something that I really enjoy. And in my time at the mental hospital, self-expression became much more important to me than it ever had been before. And so I decided I wanted to do something, something in art. And I'd been to really good Virginia schools. I'd been to William Mary, I'd been to UVA, which are hard to get into. And I had done the whole like academic rigor, SATs, read the books on the toilet, like read the SAT of word of the day books on the toilet every single time you go so that you have an impressive lexicon or whatever. And, you know, all of the like nickel and diming to get me into a good school. I'd done that. I wasn't that interested in it anymore. So I was like, I want to do something in art. I want to continue to self-express and cinema and like TV shows and film were the things that I identified with the most at that time and also seemed kind of the most successful because I had not been artistic for a lot of my life, but I felt like I could still help on TV shows and stuff like that. So I decided I wanted to do that. I knew that VCU had an incredible arts program. So I wanted to do, go here. I came back and um, basically that's how I ended up at VCU. It's how I ended up going from pre-med at William & Mary to cinema at, uh, VCU. It's a, it's, you were pre-med, man. I was pre-med. It was a big pre-med? difference. Pre-med? That yeah. is a switch. It's a, but it's, yeah. it looks good on you though. It's yeah. a good switch. <laughs> You are currently listening to the Well, That Wasn't Helpful podcast brought to you by WVCW Radio. I am your host, R. Hollis, and you can find us on iTunes and Spotify. I've been really disappointed with how much I've been able to be involved in the class this semester. I have ended up having to take way too many credits to graduate on time. And oh, this yeah. Is kind of the- you told me like the like yeah. the first time I met you, I was in disbelief, especially since you like briefly told me a little bit of your health stuff. I, I was like, that's I, I I'm taking three classes, one asynchronous, one online. And then the one we take is one day a week and I'm still pushing it. Yeah, I'm really burning the candle at both ends right now. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> it's not ideal by any means. Yeah. But I really want to graduate on time. This has been something that I've been doing for so long and I've been working really hard on. And I'm, it's so close now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I'm, I don't know. It's also interesting. There's like a sense of pride in 
not taking care of myself in terms of working really hard that I probably shouldn't feel and probably isn't mentally healthy, but like, it's also nice to know I can do hard things. Yeah. Still. I understand that. (laughs) I don't know if you struggle with this. Diabetes is really hard. Being sick is really hard, but I still don't always give myself the credit of how hard it is, even though I'm aware of it. And I don't, I want to be able to hold myself to the standard of someone who doesn't deal with this sometimes. Um, I do that every single day, every day. So like doing hard stuff, that would be hard to anyone, which is like unhealthy and excruciating for me. It's like still my standard for some reason and shouldn't be, but. No, I do the exact same thing. I'm busting my butt to get a podcast produced every single week. I'm, you know, like I'll go down the list. I'll be, I got my lists after lists after lists. And I'm like, I'm going to get it done no matter what. I don't need to use my accommodations, you know, because no one else is going to use them, even though I need them. And it's just stuff like that. So I, I understand because you also don't want to not, be a part of things or, or be at the same level because when you're, when you have to have accommodations or, or you're having to do things a different way and you just want to do things the way that everyone else is doing it, it like makes, for me, it like makes me feel less, even though it's not true. How, how do you feel about accommodations? Uh, in the, in my last episode, I talked all uh, all about accommodations and I I'm glad that they're there I don't like using them I try not to use them as much as possible because I do want to prove to myself and to everyone else that I'm capable of balancing everything and I know that that's not healthy and I have acknowledged it and I've done a little bit better at using them but yeah I'm not good at it (laughs) and I know that this is such relatable content (laughs) retweet whatever yeah I'm the same way I also recognize that it's absolutely insane of me (laughs) but I still (laughs) I still do it like you would you and I are both thinking like oh (laughs) they totally does like Hollis totally deserves it. You're thinking that I deserve to take accommodations <laughs> and I'm thinking that you do, but neither of us will think it about ourselves. Yep. It's also, the other thing is I love like getting accommodations is great. I'm really glad that they're taking the effort. I also feel like my life is just so adjacent to what it was before, like going to college now versus going to college before the accommodations do not make them equitable. It's just mm-hmm. like a separate sort of solution to the problem that I'm actually having it it's not like getting two days on a paper actually fixes me having (laughs) like not as much energy and inability to get mental clarity because my blood sugar is high all the time still gonna write a crappy paper because my blood sugar isn't right it's just so the, the only thing that accommodations do when it comes to school is it doesn't impact your grades as much as it would have. It, accommodations really have nothing to do with EU. 
it has to do with like some of them are to help benefit you physically and different things like that but for the most part it's so that you don't get penalized when you're dealing with your when you're dealing with your professors crap. yeah yeah when you're, it's also yeah. and and so it's sorry. like <laughs> no, no you can go ahead <laughs> no I just you said dealing with your crap and I said dealing with your professors which is <laughs> yeah, such a I mean same <laughs> they're the exact same thing like having to uh, I was so mad last semester because I had this awful teacher and I I've like never used my accommodations with them. I never did anything. And last semester, right at the very end, I dislocated my hip. Okay. And I couldn't walk anymore. And I was still at school because it wasn't winter break yet. And I still needed to get things done. And I needed to get to his class. I actually... (laughs) I actually dislocated my hip getting to his class and then a TA had to drive me back to my dorm. And so the next class, I couldn't walk there. And so I was communicating with another student. I said, hey, I really, we can set up a Zoom call so that I can just listen because we're talking about our final paper and I, I wanna hear it because it's not gonna record the class and stuff. And we had everything set up and I, thought that like, oh, I should ask him to make sure that it's okay that I'm on the Zoom call. And he said, no. He said, uh, I don't think that that will benefit you. I don't think that you need to do that. And I was like, I'm literally waiting for the class to start. And I'm sitting in my bed in some of the most pain I've ever been in trying to listen to your awful class and your, oh, he's, Ugh. anyway what an insane way to handle that as well of, <laughs> like, I don't think I that try. would benefit you <laughs> like I give 110% okay and I just need people to reciprocate that when I am doing everything I can to help them <laughs> like yeah. I did everything for you I didn't even ask you to record the class I didn't ask you to do sh- anything and I had it set up, I communicated with another student to get this done. And you said, I don't think that's going to help. You shouldn't do that. And I was like, I literally, I dislocated my hip getting to the class to get extra help from you because I didn't know how to do the work and you wouldn't let me listen to the class. That's, <laughs> like, that's awful. That's really. <laughs> so I have a hate love relationship with accommodations because I will try to accommodate for myself. I do everything I can to help myself before I use the actual written down accommodations for the school. But when I'm reaching out to someone like a professor, anyone, and I've made my own accommodations to be successful, reciprocate that and make that happen because it's, that was ridiculous. <laughs> That's also, a little rant, little rant yeah. for you, but uh, that was like, oh yeah. When you're reaching out to a professor, you're also a human. Like, just like reach out. It was unmatched. I got. I literally changed people. I changed classes. I was like, I can't ever deal with this person again. A nightmare. I also like just because you don't think it's going to be beneficial is not a reason to not let someone try something. If they think it'll be beneficial, let them try it. What are like? There's absolutely nothing that they lose by letting you do that 
and I wouldn't have suggested it if suggested it if I didn't think it would work. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> really infuriating. I am taking a class right now that is mostly being taught by the textbook. I can learn like pretty much the entire course through the textbook and through like little modules that we take that have miniature lectures from the textbook in them. And I was, I did really well on the first test. I got like a 97 or something. And so I was like, okay, I'm good with this class for a while. That's like one third of my grade is a 97%. So like, I'm not failing this class most likely. So I put it on the back burner and started focusing on my other classes more and came back to do like the little mini lectures later on, but too much time had passed since they had taught the lecture in class. So it was like, I was just going to do a bulk study before the test and do like three chapters of studying all before the test instead of breaking them out over three weeks. And the professor had locked all of the miniature lectures that were available through the textbook that I paid for. So I couldn't access any of the information that I needed to teach myself on my own time. So I emailed the professor and was like, hey, would it be okay if I reached out or would it be okay if you unlocked these just so I could teach myself to get ready for the test? I understand that I'm not going to get a good grade on these. That's fine. I've like engaged in triage and I've put this in the back burner because I know I'm going to do okay on this class. I just need to be able to study in time for the test. I don't know. I think you're a lot behind. So why don't you talk with your advisor? I would really like to talk with your advisor before I talk with you about what your steps forward are. And I was just like, I'm 26. I'm an adult. I know how to handle this. I obviously know how to handle this class considering the grade that I got on the last one. Like, yeah, you could just talk to me. You just ask me questions. No, <laughs> I feel pretty confident in it. Can you just, I feel I'll like prove you right. I am able to answer the question that you have for me right now. And you're just not sitting. <laughs> also, if you're not confident, let me fail. That's a lesson. You can <laughs> let me learn that lesson the hard way. That's fine. You're a professor. That's part of teaching is like letting people try themselves exactly, you know, let me fail on my own. No, I had to talk to another adult apparently who's like, I don't know, four years older than me. <laughs> like not that much older than me. Oh uh, God. <laughs> I talked to my advisor. My advisor was like, yeah, if you feel like you can do it, just do that. So I sent that back. He didn't unlock it, but he was like, okay, well, we'll see how you do on the test. So I taught myself by like doing some questionable memes and like... <laughs> some pirating and stuff like that it's okay. yeah a 94 on the next test there you <laughs> like go just I know how to do yeah. it just let me just let me do my job just and let then me graduate dude and, yeah. You are now in the final portion of the Well, That Wasn't Helpful podcast. I am your host and creator, R. Hollis, and this is brought to you by WVCW Radio. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. Be sure to follow our channel so that you can get updates every week on our latest podcast coming out. And then also like, he has no idea that you're dealing with everything yeah. you're dealing with or potential family issues. Like they don't like teachers are important. <laughs> they literally help everyone, but 
they need people need to recognize like you said people need to recognize that you're like a human especially if you have accommodations like don't be difficult about it i'm busting my butt to get this done i've met like most of my professors at vcu have been absolutely phenomenal like really really cool people who get to know me and work around my schedule and understand what i'm like going understand to the extent that they can what i'm going through and stuff like that but every now and then you get like yeah. this person's very old school type teacher and just people learn in different ways. People are different. And I don't understand how other people can't internalize that properly. Yeah. You know, I, I lucked out that it was only one teacher that I had to deal with because you're right that like the majority of the people here are really, really great. But when you get that one teacher, regardless, regardless of the school you go to, whether it be kindergarten to grad school, whatever. Like, why are you making my life harder for no reason? <laughs> like, why don't you recognize? Cause I would be very transparent with my teachers. And I was like, this is what is going on right now. I'm sending this so you can understand why it's late. Because if I just say, sorry, it's not necessarily the best thing. And I get very conflicted with that because some teachers are, will say, you don't need to tell me anything about your life. Like I'll just do the accommodation. And then other teachers will be like, I need to know why. And I'm like, let me get my checklist out and tell you why. <laughs> okay. I have time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to know? You really <laughs> <Yes>. want to know? <laughs> so yeah, you really want to understand what's going on in my life. Let's start. Uh, <laughs> Well, when I was, uh, when I was a baby, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's, let's unpack this. <laughs> let's, let's get into this. My therapist <laughs> exactly. has been telling me I should reach out to people and establish a support network. I appreciate you volunteering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh my God. It's exhausting, man. Like, I don't know how I do it. You're right. Like, I don't think we, both of us don't give credit to ourselves about everything. Cause we're, we're sitting here like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're dealing with that. I could yeah. never <laughs> deal with that. And we're both doing like to each the other. Same thing. Yeah. And it's like, like, you don't have to have the same illness to have an extremely hard time and relate to other people. Cause I, you know, I've always like strived like you just said, like you want your therapist wanted you to reach out, like have a support yeah. group and stuff. And that's been a recommendation for me a lot. And I always thought I have to find, I have to find someone who has the exact same illness as me has to have everything that matches so they can understand. But ever since doing this podcast, I was like, that's changed my mind completely because we have had a very, very different life, obviously different illnesses, everything. And we've been able to sit here for however long and, and say, I relate to that. Yeah. I get that. I feel that. <laughs> so it's pretty, it's crazy because I never thought that I could just meet people and talk about this stuff and, until, and have, until yeah. I made a podcast about it. Cause that's what everyone does. Like, that's what everyone does these days. So like, Oh, I have a podcast. So I do that too. I'm like, oh, I have, people ask me a question. I'm like, oh, I have a podcast for that. Just go and watch this episode. I'm not even kidding. Every single person I talk to, I'm like, I have a podcast for that. Yeah. It's such an important, I feel like <laughs> such an important thing to have as well for 
people who like have to be advocates all the time of like having that in your back pocket to whip out of like, oh, you want to know? here. Yes. <laughs> Leave oh me my alone. God. Yes. 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 It has helped me very recently because, um, I had someone asking me a lot of questions about how I dealt with my panic attacks and everything. And I said, please listen to this episode I did on coping skills because it's going to answer every single question. And the person was like sending me text after text, uh, asking questions. And I was like, just wait. And then after they listened to it, they're like, it answered everything. And I was like, perfect. And same with like, I am so excited uh, that my, my service dog that, oh wait, I'm so excited that the service dog episode is now out there because (laughs) (laughs) this is going to be released later. Yeah. Have to get the timelines right. Of course. (laughs) I'm I'm so glad that I am making a service dog and made a service dog episode because I have had multiple people ask me questions about my service dog. I've had many people mistreat me about my service dog and I want people to hear it. And uh, even yourself have have asked about different things and I'm I've covered the things that you're gonna that you've asked and I'm so glad that you're going to have that because I, I'm like, it, it takes, you're right. It takes less on me, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then I don't have to explain everything because I'm so transparent and I, I say everything that's going on because wh- why not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, here you go. <laughs> we, I feel like you probably have to talk so much about that and like have, it's like forced it's into your identity. So I'm just going to ask arbitrarily, what's a new artist that you found recently? Like a new music, like any new music that you've been listening to? Any new hobbies? Any new music? Well, an artist that I have listened to a long time ago is actually coming to VCU and doing a concert, Smino. Yes, that has been very exciting. Uh, I'm obsessed with the History Channel podcast called History This Week. I am, in fact, copying a lot of what they are doing <laughs> because I want to be on their podcast and hopefully one day I will be. Are so, you a podcast person more than a music person, would you say? I'm both. I listen to a lot of music in the car and I listen to podcasts when I do things. <laughs> like anything. I'll put a, yeah. yeah, I'll put a podcast on. Oh, doing the dishes? Let's I just learned about Hitler, uh, uh, like while Woo. doing the, dish, the dishes, <laughs> like, good, like from, from the history, yeah. from the history podcast, like not like weird. <laughs> yeah, it gets you angry about it, so you scrub extra harder, and then yeah, you know, like exactly. even cleaner dishes. Great. Yeah. What is right. what is one interesting fact about you that has absolutely nothing to do with your illness? <laughs> it has nothing to do with my illness. Nothing. Uh, I was a really good bassoon player in high school are you serious yeah it was like very good I have it it's like right there under my bed which is in the background I see Um, is that a guitar case I see yeah so there's one guitar here there's a bass there um I used to play a lot of music I don't play nearly as much anymore I I play piano and I sing I was in like a like a band thing at my school but yeah but it wasn't like orchestra band it was like rock band it was really cool that's cool that's really cool that your school yes. had that yeah I yeah. worked out it was fun <laughs> um my high school didn't really have a great 
music program. So I, I kind of fell out of it, but I was really good at bassoon for a while there. There you go. Yeah. See, I would have never known that if that I hadn't asked like you. My, that used to be like my, like now it's diabetes is like the keystone identifier that lots of times I give people. It used to be bassoon, which is very yeah. interesting to me how I just kind of like lost that dweeby energy and picked up a new sadder dweeby energy <laughs> <laughs> no like like mine is no one no one here knows who I am they know my dog I'm the I'm the I'm the person with the dog and that is prevalent every time I leave this room so I appreciate it when people don't talk to me about my dog or don't ask me about my health like that's the last thing I want to talk about, especially if you have chronic pain or you have like a serious, serious illness that is very prevalent and an identifier in your life you got and, an, and an identifier in your life. Like you don't want that to come up and it's going to come up it, like, especially since I'm so transparent, it comes up <laughs> a lot. And so um, that is my service dog moving in her kennel. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> always. It, this isn't people. about her. This isn't we about were. her right now. Like I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> I, from a socially anxious place, because I, I have, you know, diagnosed social anxiety, which is such a yeah. funny thing to me. Anyways, I'm just gonna tuck that away. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll unpack that later. <laughs> nervous around people medically. <laughs> I've never thought of it like that it's like I have a diagnosed I don't want to be here right now (laughs) Um, I think you have very good vibes and I think like you carry a like a survivor energy that's very like infectious and good um and I think I was like well I can talk about the dog (laughs) surely (laughs) surely they'll have opinions on that (laughs) I have never been told that I have survivor energy, but I, I'm going to like embrace that. Like, I'm I not, think that's good. I, I it's think not that's a bad thing. Way to, <laughs> I just didn't, I really didn't want to say just good vibes or immaculate vibes. Cause that's one, I'm too old to say that. And two, it's just such a like <laughs> buzzword thing. But no. like, yeah, I don't, I really wanted to like get to know you better when I first met you. I, I did too, because yeah. we, we sit across the table from each other and the class we're in, it's not very collaborative. I mean, I make it collaborative because I talk through it and make jokes because I'm literally the funniest person I know. And so, <laughs> so to wrap this podcast <laughs> up, um, <laughs> what advice, nice yes, okay, what advice can you provide people who are struggling with the same things that you are going through what advice can you provide to them so that they can help their quality of life and get through this world easily as well as what can parents guardians or teachers do to help you or what would have been helpful that is a very long question but I feel positive that you're going to be able to answer it yeah I'm going to treat that as a three-parter yeah, I think one is. of them, I have some very acute diabetes advice, which is if you are thinking about giving advice or suggestions to someone with diabetes, make sure that you know at least 75% of the knowledge that you think they probably know about the disease. Um, 
I don't like getting comments on what I can and cannot eat. Even though it comes from a place of caring, it's very exhausting. In general, just try and think about what this person probably hears about a lot on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, there's a lot of patterns that we face. A similar rule of like, don't ever make a name joke. Don't ever make a joke about someone's name because you know that they've heard it before. It's never going to be funny. It's never going to land how you want. Same thing with diseases. <laughs> never. You can, actually, I enjoy some diabetes jokes. It's a, it's a funny one. Sugar, for some reason, makes for good humor. Um, <laughs> God. I don't do that for other people. I just, honestly, as a rule, don't. But if you meet me one day, it's okay. Uh, if I know you all right. Parents, guardians, or teachers, I think there's just like this flexibility that I've experienced from some professors that is so incredibly helpful of just not really caring about accommodations and just inherently trusting the person. I think there's this philosophy that people will be in college and people will work because they want to, and everyone for the most part wants to achieve something with their life. And so trusting them in that and making it you know, having that faith that they want to do good work and that they want to work hard makes it a lot easier to give them space too and just like let them take the space that they need and do what they need to do. So I think just a general faith that like there aren't just lazy people out there in the way that a lot of people think that there are. Um, I'm trying to think. If I have any advice for other diabetics. I would say get a pump is one of them, but also I was pretty happy with needles before. I don't think I'm accomplished enough or figured out diabetes enough to give advice on diabetes, but stay strong. Uh, burnout is real. Try not to burn out for too long. And, and be brave. Be really brave. Be so brave. Enjoy be a so race once in a while. Yeah. You know? <laughs> It's good. It's good for the soul. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not at a place to tie a bow on this disease and that's okay. So that's really amazing. Rambling. Yeah. It's really amazing to recognize that, that you yeah. don't, you don't have the answers yourself. So it's okay to, to say, I'm not there yet, yeah. but I will be. Maybe. Who's to say? Maybe I won't. I don't. Who, who's to say it would get easier? Life, I'm doing it for now. So <laughs> life is about the journey, not the destination. Exactly. exactly. That's so true. true. So true. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the Well, That Wasn't Helpful podcast. I do hope that this was helpful for you <laughs> and our listeners. And I am so glad that we got to have a conversation. I am able to see his face for the first time without a mask. So uh, he has a beard that I was not expecting. So I, I appreciate you coming on and talking with me today. I also hope it was helpful for the audience. I know that this was a really nice time and I appreciate it a lot. And it was really nice to be here. So thank you. You have just completed the eighth episode of the Well, That Wasn't Helpful podcast. If you're wanting more information on diabetes, go to www.diabetes.org. There you'll find resources, research, and support for diabetes 
from the American Diabetes Association. This source provides extensive research on the different types of diabetes, they break down the treatment plans and medications that are available, and it is a connection into finding support groups. Again, go to www.diabetes.org to find more information provided by the American Diabetes Association. If you would like to be a guest or suggest a topic for future podcast episodes, email well, that was an helpful podcast at gmail.com. Then I will provide you with a Google form that you can fill out and we can get everything squared away. Again, email well, that was an helpful podcast at gmail.com. You need to be at least 15 years old to be a guest. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, there are so many things that you can do to help. Subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, and leave a rating and review. The Well, That Was an Helpful podcast is brought to you by WVCW Radio, all student-led radio at VCU. This is R. Hollis, and thanks for listening.